0: Our gospel reading in our sermon text comes from John 16. It reads like this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Father, I pray that you would take what is Jesus's and declare it to us tonight by your spirit through my very imperfect lips. May you be glorified and your people edified by everything that happens here tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, you may have noticed uh, a couple things about this evening. One of those is that we have a different worship team tonight. Mal uh, Daniel and Katie uh, Martins, they are a married couple, are singing for us tonight, as well as Andrew Anderson. And they did a wonderful job, so thank you for leading us in worship uh, this evening, and they'll continue on. Yeah, go ahead. Good for you to give them a round of applause. Uh, they'll continue leading us after, and they're going to do a special song for offering that I can't wait for you to hear. I, As soon as I knew that um, that our worship director, Matt Monty, wasn't going to be here this week. He's traveling. I said, man, I'd love to get Val and Katie up here so that they can do this. I, I just want them to do this one song, and they're doing it. It's awesome. It's going to sound so good. So um, Not to pump it up too much for you, but... Let's get into our sermon for this evening. So we're in week three of our series looking at the Apostles' Creed. And I won't spend a whole lot of time rehashing uh, what we've talked about so far, but it just suffice to say the first week we talked about God the Father and His work of creation. Uh, last week we talked about God the Son and His work of salvation, and this week we're talking about God the Spirit and His work of sanctification. Uh, which, it's a pretty fancy theological word, but that word is just another word to say God's work of setting people apart. God's work of transformation in a person. In other words, we're talking about the broad spectrum of God's creation first. We move a little bit more narrow to his salvation. Uh, how does God do the work of saving people? And now we're talking about how God does the work of changing us. And it's by the work of his Spirit. Now, frankly, we need an education on the work of the Spirit and on the person of the Holy Spirit because uh, I think it's pretty clear for anybody that's spent a little bit of time in the church that the Holy Spirit tends to be the person of the Trinity that there's an awful lot of confusion about. In some churches, uh, almost everything that happens is the Holy Spirit. So it, the Holy Spirit is giving great, 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 great emphasis. In other churches, the Holy Spirit is seems to be not present at all, or at least he's never spoken of. And in truth, both of those things are not the balance that Scripture gives us. And so our creed tells us a thing or two about God, the Spirit, and His work. The creed reads like this: you could follow along in your bulletin if you want to just turn the page, but you don't have to. I'll read it for you right now. Creed says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Pretty short, pretty succinct, pretty simple. As I said, we're going to be looking at the Spirit's work of sanctifying us, setting us apart, in the end, making us more like Jesus. And we're going to do this by seeing four, I think, facts about the Spirit as laid out in the Creed. Number one, we're going to see his identity. Number two, we're going to see his community. Number three, his methods. And number four, his goals. So, let's get right into it. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is his identity? Our creed, frankly, doesn't say a whole lot. It just refers to him as the Holy Spirit. But I think implicit in his title is a hint. He is holy. And frankly, there's only one who can truly be referred to as perfectly, righteously holy, and that is God. So I think our creed hints at it, but the fact is the scriptures don't hint at all. The scriptures are very clear about the identity of the Spirit. In Psalm 139 that we read earlier, it says that the Spirit is omnipresent. Hebrews chapter 9 of the New Testament tells us the Spirit is eternal. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that he is omniscient or all-knowing. Uh, Throughout the New Testament, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are put on equal par in passages like Matthew chapter 28, the Great uh, Commission passage, or 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul gives sort of a benediction or a doxology, and he puts them again, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, on the same level. And finally, he is quite literally named as God in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, if you want to look that up later, you can do that. Uh, to see that it's sort of this small little passage where the Holy Spirit and the the name of God are used interchangeably. And it is because he is God that he can work within you to change you. Because only God has access to that which can be changed about us, namely our hearts. So, I won't spend much more time going over his identity, but it's very clear from Scripture and from historic Christianity, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity of the Godhead. We don't expect you to have that fully wrapped around in your mind, but that's what we confess. Now, we've established who he is. Now we move to where the Spirit works to do his work. Where does he work to sanctify us, to cleanse us, to, to make us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And that is his community. The Creed makes it clear that the Spirit's work is to connect us into quote, one holy Catholic Church. Now in case, you're, in case you've been coming or you're coming for the first time tonight and you heard me say Catholic and something went like, hey, wait, what does that mean? It's not Roman Catholic. We don't mean that. That's a specific church. Catholic in its literal sense just means universal. It's just a term for universal. Uh, but uh, it, it, and, uh, and it also says that we're connected into a communion of saints. So, the Bible is abundantly clear that if you are a Christian, then you are made a part of God's church. It tells us in 1 Corinthians that you are members of his body. Jesus is the head and every other person in his church is a member of his body. However, today it is super popular to say that one can be just fine without being a part of a church. I think the phrase that kind of best encapsulates Maybe the modern ethos or modern sensibility is I'm spiritual but not religious. I imagine at some point or another you've heard that, maybe you've said that. Somebody asks you, Do you believe in God or do you believe in something? You say, Well, I'm spiritual but not religious. And I think, especially in America where individualistic uh, thinking is so prevalent, we're prone to thinking that spiritual things are first and foremost things that we do on our own. They're experiences that are personal to us. They're subjective. They're they're moments. They're spontaneous things that happen to us, and no one can tell us one way or another whether they really happen or not. I think there's numerous ways the statement on spiritual but not religious can be interpreted depending on who's saying it. Um, it could mean just I don't want to be lumped in with a particular religious tradition, but I do sense there's something more to the universe than just matter. It could just mean that. I mean, frankly, I mean, uh, Pew Research has done us a great service finding that over 20% of Americans now refer to themselves as, they wouldn't necessarily say this, they wouldn't necessarily call themselves nuns, but approximately 20% of Americans have no religious affiliation at all. But what we also know from the data is that many of them would still very much consider themselves to be Christians or Buddhists or whatever religion they are. They just don't have a particular group that they would affiliate with. That's one way of dealing with it. But it can also mean, especially for a Christian who says it, I don't like the organized church. I don't want to be a part of it. And let's be honest. I mean, the church has given people plenty of reasons over its history to come to that conclusion at some point or another, right? I mean, we can't pretend that the church hasn't been a place that's like super stuffy, you know. I mean, like, there's a lot of lot of churches that have given off an air of that they're better than other people. I mean, they just the air of self-righteousness that you can get in the church. Uh, Then on top of that, the hypocrisy one sees amongst the religious community. I mean, the people that are often so busy railing against everybody else's sins are later found to be participating in those very same sins. These are supposed to be religious leaders within the church. And so there's just some that just institution's broke, man. i not only part of it. It's just broken. Uh, a few years ago, a guy named Jefferson Beth- Bethka uh, released a spoken word video called uh, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. Some of you might remember this. I mean, it really it went viral, went kind of everywhere. The people that sit, what, what stood out to me about that video is the people that sent the video to me First and foremost, were my agnostic and atheist friends. And they loved it. They loved it. Let me give you a sample of what he says in this little video, spoken word. He said, uh, What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian, and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice tend to ridicule God's people They did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems, and so they just mask it, not realizing religion's like spraying perfume on a casket. We have to acknowledge that what he's saying has some truth to it, right? I mean, it just does. There's a sense, if we talk about religion in one sense, where we go, yeah, guilty. And yet, and the author would acknowledge this, Jefferson Bethke, he said this many times on different occasions. Our creed tells us that if one is genuinely spiritual, i.e. filled with the Holy Spirit, that this will not be just some vague, sort of subjective, mystical experience, but will actually manifest itself in a number of physical, tangible ways that frankly are religious. In the best sense of the word. In other words, whether you recognize it or not, you have Jesus Christ as your ward, and that means you are, you you are his church. And the Spirit's intention is to manifest that in a real flesh-and-blood community of people, like Epiphany Lutheran Church, or like Trinity Grace, or like Redeemer, or whatever other church you can think of in New York City here and around the world. We're intended to be together. Now, is it possible to be in a place where there's simply no churches around to be a, and still be a Christian? Absolutely. Yes, that happens. Is it possible that even if there are churches around that they're all crazy? Yeah, I suppose so. It could be that they're not preaching the truth. But, but these are exceptions and not rules. So if the Spirit is working, that manifests itself in his community, the church. That's where he's going to do his work, in the midst of other people midst and through other people, God begins to do his work on your life, to fix the problems that you can't fix. You need others. That leads to the third point. How then does the Spirit work to sanctify us? How does he do it? It's through other people, it's through the church. What are his methods? Well, our creed says that it happens through, quote, the forgiveness of sins, Now, this needs to be fleshed out a little bit because God doesn't merely just forgive sins. There's a method to this. There's a way he goes about doing it. And that is through the proclamation of God's word of law and gospel, like I'm preaching to you now. Through the word that is preached, God delivers the goods to us. Let me explain a little bit. Uh, Let me break down what I mean when I say the proclamation of law and gospel. Simply put, the word of law manifests itself in a couple of ways. In daily life and in the church. First, there's the word of law from daily life. That word shows you that you don't measure up in any number of ways all the time. It doesn't have to be specifically spiritual at all. As a matter of fact, a lot of the time it's not. Most of life around you is basically preaching a word of law to you. Let me give you an example. The voice that tells you that you're not successful enough, that's law. The commercial that makes you feel like you're not pretty or handsome enough, that's law. Uh, The people that tell you you can achieve anything if you just try hard enough is also law. A word of law is just simply telling you this is what you want to be. It's holding up a standard for you. That happens in daily life all the time. We compare ourselves to others all the time, and and through that, we're hearing words of law. But then there's the word of law that's specific in the church. And that word of law is proclaimed from the scriptures. And that word of law is a word that tells you what you ought to do to be pleasing to Him. It demands perfection. It says if you've ever been unjustly angry at someone, it's like murdering them. It says if you've ever lusted after it someone, it's like committing adultery with them. It declares that it, it, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are worthy of condemnation. It declares that in and of ourselves, we cannot. We are totally, utterly, totally incapable of fixing the problem, and therefore every person is under judgment. And when the person hears this. The Spirit, then, the Spirit's work is to take this word and to convict the individual's heart. He crushes us through it. He crushes any hope of us saving ourselves. We realize that in and of ourselves, we're hopeless. Well, then this leads to the second part, and that is the person crying out for mercy. When we recognize that we're hopeless and we can't fix it, we're, we need help, the only thing we can do is cry out for help. There's a great example of this in the Old Testament uh, with King David. King David, in case you haven't read the story, uh, you know, he's a powerful guy. He sees one night a woman uh, bathing uh, somewhere in his neighborhood and decides, hey, you know, I'd like her. I'd like to bet her. And because he's the king, he basically gets what he wants back then. So she comes over. He sleeps with her, he has an affair with her. Well, she becomes pregnant. Her husband is away fighting at war for King David when this happens. And he's about to come home and King David doesn't want her husband to find out that she's been impregnated by another man. And so long story short, he has her husband Uriah killed, murdered on the battlefield. Put in a place that he knew he would be slaughtered. And then for a little while, David was able to go on with his life as if he was going to get away with it. For a little while. He writes in response in Psalm 51, uh, after a friend of his finally confronted him and called him out on what he had done. He writes, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He goes on, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He pleads for mercy because he knows that he has blown it. That's what what the word of law does. The word of law brings us to a point that says, I need the mercy of God because I can't fix this situation. And it is at that moment when you have finally been brought to your knees to say, I've got nothing. When all hope is lost, that another word comes in. Always a surprising word at that moment. And that word is known as gospel. It is a word of complete and utter grace. It is a proclamation that though you have great sin and failure, that you have been totally unable to keep God's law. God's Son, Jesus Christ, out of great love for you, has lived the perfect life in your place, has died the death your sins have incurred, has risen to new life, defeating death and hell for you. He reigns with God, interceding for you, and thus declares that because of his work, You are seen as perfect in His sight, forgiven of all your sins, declared to be God's child and loved with an everlasting perfect love. The Spirit then at that moment when you are in despair over your ability swoops in through that word and applies it to your heart and brings new life. So going back to the story with King David, Nathan just calls him out for his sin. And David simply says, I have sinned against the Lord. He just, he just comes clean. He has no response. See, there's no excuses. When the law's done its work, you don't have any excuses left. You don't say, well, you know, if it, if it wasn't just for that, if they hadn't have done that, you know, if, they, if the cab driver hadn't hugged him, you know, you just, you, you own it. You just own it. You own it. And it's right when you own it, it's right when you own it that this word immediately comes. Nathan declares to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. That's gospel. That's good news. That is what we mean when we confess that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. That's the Spirit's work. And yet this process of law and gospel that results in the forgiveness of sins, it really never ends for us. We we have to go through it throughout the rest of our life because here's the thing. We're still sinners. That's why each week when we gather, we take a time to confess sins and to hear a word of forgiveness from the pulpit. I get asked sometimes when people come here uh, for a few weeks why we always close with the same song. They always do this song called The Gospel Doxology. Same tune, same words, never ends, always the same every week. I'll tell you why. Because it is the Christian story, in a nutshell, it is wonderfully rich with law and gospel. And we need to be reminded of it all the time. It says this, your perfect law exposes me. I fill my sin in desperate need. My best good works are powerless to satisfy your righteousness. That's all. But there is one who lived for me, his life, my only victory, his death forever sealed in time, that I am his and he is mine. Gospel! Therefore, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above you, heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And that leads to the last part of the Spirit's work in our creed, and that is His goals. What's He doing all this for? What's He applying forgiveness to you for? What's He working all of these things for you? Why is He doing it? Well, it's the last part of the creed. Because we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. The Spirit's goal of all this work is that one day you would be risen from the dead and have everlasting life. That's it. The Spirit is working to make you ready for a life without end. Here's the time. You you may have times where you doubt whether this will come to pass. You, you recognize that you still struggle with sin and you frankly don't look all that holy sometimes. I mean, if you think about just the things that you think, you might go, mm, not feeling so holy. And, and it's when you're in those times that you wonder if God's Spirit really is with you if He's really doing the work. I mean, shouldn't you look better by now if the Spirit's with you? So in closing, I want to give you two words to remember on your path to eternal life on your path to the resurrection of your body. The first comes from 1 Corinthians 120 and it says this. You are in Christ Jesus. I'm speaking to you right now. You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Let me just stop for a second. The text uses a word there that I've used multiple times throughout. And it says that Christ is that thing. Christ is your sanctification. In other words, when you look inside yourself and you see your problems and your struggles, and you think maybe that God's finally done with you, that he's had it with you, remember what is happening inside of you isn't ultimately what sets you apart. What's happening inside of you, what sets you apart for real, is found ultimately in what Jesus has done. When you struggle, remember to look to him. He is the one who is your holiness. And the second word is everything. And I close with this, it's everything. It is your hope on the days of despair. It is your hope when you go back to the same bad habit that you thought you had given up. It is your hope on the days when (laughs) you you lose it on someone. It is your hope on the days when you look anything but faithful in your life to God. And it is this, from Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So church, as the Spirit is working in you, Take comfort in knowing that he's not done. He will bring it to completion in the end. We bow to for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, I ask that as we prepare now to go to the table that you would that you would bring comfort and salve to our hearts. We pray that you would Feed our faith and help us to remain faithful because you are faithful to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being amongst us, for being with us, for being in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we do go to the table, I want to take some time just to go through our announcements. for.